Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 57. Glad to have you back on the program. I think the topic today is very timely. It's going to cover an essay that was written by a colleague of mine yesterday at townhall.com. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy the, the topic. We, I did cover a similar topic all the way back in June of 2016. But I'm going to uh, touch on the same ideas and same issues a little bit. But before I do that, uh, please remember to share this uh, podcast around all you can. This is the only way we're going to uh, get the message out. But uh, if you... Uh, would like to follow me on Facebook or, or Twitter or YouTube. I do post all of my podcasts on YouTube, and uh, and I do uh, correspond with listeners on Facebook and, and uh, often on Twitter. So if you'd like to uh, reach out to me there, you can also go to my website, brianmcclanahan.com, and follow me there. Uh, also, again, remember, if you want to uh, have classes with me, if you would like to uh, be one of my students, so to speak, you can go on over to learntruehistory.com and sign up there. Uh, if you do subscribe at the uh, basic plus or master level uh, membership level, you do get a free book from yours truly out of the uh, deal. Uh, if you subscribe through learntruehistory.com, uh, I'll send you a signed copy of My Forgotten Conservatives in American History with Clyde Wilson. It's quite a deal, $25 value, and you get that. Plus, you get all the great stuff there at Learn True History, so it's, uh, you shouldn't pass that up. Okay, so let's talk about the, the topic for today, and it's... Um, Essentially, a, a, a discussion of language and also a little bit of history tied into uh, what the left actually is. And so back in, in June, I did a podcast that was titled The Destructive Political Left. And it was uh, essentially a survey of how the left, not the right, is the uh, group to be feared when you start talking about violence um, and demonstration, and we're seeing that now, right? I mean, we've seen that after Trump has been elected, the left has acted like the left always does. They go out and they protest, and they do get pretty nasty. Just look at the uh, at the response to the Milo speech that was canceled at Berkeley because a bunch of uh, crybabies decided that they were going to violently protest and burn cars and break stuff. Now, I don't think that you ever saw the right doing this after Barack Obama was elected or when any leftist speaker shows up on campuses. Uh, the right generally doesn't do these things, or libertarians generally don't do these things. They don't violently protest or riot. This is the M.O. of the left. And I think this needs to be made clear to the general public. Now, I know a lot of people already know this, but people are... are somewhat shocked, it seems, right now. Oh my gosh, the left is doing this. What is going on here? But this is how the left almost always operates. And we should have expected it. Um, and so a, a colleague of mine, uh, Jack Kerwick, who actually has a, 
a PhD in philosophy, and he's written a, a book uh, entitled The American Offensive, Dispatches from the Front, which came out in 2015. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of uh, traffic. It's self-published, uh, or sort of. It's published by a publisher named Stairway Press. Um, and it's a collection of his essays that he's published in other places, but he, he predominantly writes for townhall.com. And uh, there's an interesting story. You know, Town Hall uh, was actually one of the places when I, way long time ago, I'm talking well over a decade ago, uh, that I um, stumbled across when the Internet was still kind of, um, kind of young in its infancy. This is back in the, uh, well, gosh, almost 20 years ago now. This is back in the late 90s. You know, so the Internet had only been around as a, uh, as a very popular tool for less than maybe about five years or so. Uh, and Town Hall was out there. And I remember going on Town Hall quite a bit back then. But it is a, I do write for Town Hall sometimes. And um, uh, they do publish a wide variety of uh, opinion pieces. Uh, they're not just uh, exclusively uh, focusing on neoconservatives or, uh, you know, establishment uh, conservative types. But uh, they do publish things by libertarians and paleo paleoconservatives. And so uh, they're, they're pretty eclectic in that way. And I think that's great. And Kerwick uh, would be classified as a paleoconservative. He is a, a Catholic and um, a traditional Catholic. And not only that, uh, he is a traditional conservative. And I, I think that this term conservatism you know, is often brought up. I, I actually prefer the term traditionalist because I think that's what, con that, what Kerwick is more than anything else. Um, he is a, a traditionalist. And so uh, he's concerned about uh, more or less about social and moral issues. Uh, he does get into uh, uh, political philosophy. That's what his uh, focus was for his uh, Ph.D. And um, he doesn't really talk about economics very much, but he does focus on these uh, cultural issues that, I, that he thinks are, uh, are affecting the American population today and he thinks are the most important issues moving forward. And I think there's a large swath of the American public that believes that as well. Uh, and so... Uh, Kerwick is, has got his finger on the pulse, I think, in so many ways of what many people on the, uh, on the right are, uh, are thinking right now. Um, and he wrote this piece on uh, Monday, February 6th, entitled The Importance of Language. Leftist thugs are terrorists, not protesters or snowflakes. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's important to note. And so he begins with uh, this statement, why violence has always had a home on the political left, and why the left in America has been engaging in violence from at least the time of the late 1960s, forces on the thuggish left became emboldened during Obama's tenure in the White House. Within the last year or so, they have become especially brass and merciless toward Trump supporters. And so he talks about this Milo event and how no one was arrested. And then he says, while it's true that most of those on the left do not physically engage in violence, for two reasons, this is neither here nor there. Now, um, a couple of things about this. One, I would say that the left, it hasn't been since the 1960s, and I'm going to give you a little historical perspective on this. It's really been since the 1780s that the left has engaged in this type of activity. Since the 1780s. Uh, and reformers, even going back to gosh, the classical era, um, and what we would call the left. The left has generally been the more violent group. 
Um, and in fact, um, in some ways, these violent leftists have a mental disease, a mental disorder, uh, because they don't really see the world the way that it is. They see the world the way that it is in their own, in their own cranium, in the confines between their two ears. And I think that's important. You know, when you look at things like utopian novels or this concept of utopia, you know, we go back in the first book entitled Utopia was written in 1516 by Sir Thomas More. And the important part about that is that the word utopia is actually a play on words. It's from utopos, which means nowhere. It doesn't exist. And actually, Sir Thomas More was essentially saying that it doesn't exist. Utopias don't exist. But what happens as you move forward in time is that uh, progressives or leftists or reformers, whatever you want to call them, socialists, they're all a type of utopians. Uh, and this is based on, um, in some ways, a philosophical concept uh, where you have forms. You know, Plato called them forms. You have the form of the good. And Plato said that the, the, the point or the purpose of a philosopher is to lead people to the form of the good. So from that point forward, you start having this push for ideology. And what happens with ideology is that you start forgetting about the, the real reality. You have this ideal concept or construct of what society or a particular thing should be. And you start moving towards that. The problem with this is that oftentimes particularly when you start talking about uh, organizing society, is that you can never reach it because you're always going to have pushback from various groups who don't like that particular position. And so the communists figured out, Marxists figured out, the best thing to do then is just kill people. And so this is when the left starts becoming very violent. You know, people like Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, and his uh, social contract. You know, Rousseau was essentially... Um, uh, the intellectual forefather of the French Revolution. And the French Revolution is the first time the left gets violent, excessively violent. Uh, they, they had always, there had always been some violence, but the left became excessively violent during the French Revolution, and that becomes the model by which every leftist uh, is going to base their activity moving forward. It's often called the first communist revolution, in the history of the world, the French Revolution, particularly during the Terror, which ended in the deaths of over 30,000 people, in some cases horribly. Uh, these, these things were, the, the things that they were doing to people were just uh, you know, barbaric. And I think that's also a term that we need to use. We're not dealing, as, as Kerwick says, language matters. And he, he says they're leftist thugs. He says they're leftist thugs, and um, I don't think that they're essentially thugs. I mean, they are, but I think more importantly, they're barbarians. And so what is a barbarian? Well, a barbarian, uh, by traditional definition, when you look at going back to Greece, a barbarian were, were the people that invaded during the Dorian invasion. They invaded the Mycenaeans. And uh, they eventually assimilated with the Mycenaeans, but at first, the, the Mycenaeans called them barbarians because they were uneducated and bathed very little. So they were smelly and stupid people. And I think that that's part of the thing. And of course, they were trying to tear down 
Greek society and Greek culture. Eventually, they realized it was much better than what they had, and they became uh, proponents of Greek society and Greek culture. But this is important to note. These people, generally on the left, they're barbarians. Their sole purpose is to tear down what they don't understand. In the name of ideology, in the name of some construct that exists only between their two ears. And I think that's where we run into an issue where people don't classify these people for really what they are. As, as Couric says, they're thugs, and they are violent. And uh, they are to be feared because, as G.K. Chesterton once pointed out, these people just want to tear down fences, not knowing why the fence is there. So, getting back to Kerwick's piece, uh, and, I, and I'm going to touch on these themes again as I move through this piece, because it's, it's pretty good, and of course I'll, I'll link it, but Kerwick starts uh, pointing out uh, that it can be, it takes a very small group of people to actually cause a tremendous amount of problems, and he uses the September 11th attacks as that. 19 terrorists killed 3,000 people. Uh, and he says, a minority of rotten apples, however small it may be, can ruin the bunch. And he says, second... Those leftist Democrats in political office, the media, academia, and Hollywood, those who aren't literally initiating violence against innocents are hardly off the hook. The rabble in the streets functions as their strong arm wing, the Democrats' foot soldiers. Those Democrats who object to this characterization of their relationship to the thugs, who explicitly disavow violence while qualifying their denunciations with the very same anti-Trump vitriol that gave rise to the violence, want to have it both ways. And I think he's touching on something here. You know, when Trump was running, it was often said, well, this guy is, you know, bringing political rhetoric into the gutter. And I think that was setting the left up for this type of activity because they're just going to blame this on Trump. Well, he's the one that started it. He's the one that started calling people names. But you have to understand that the history of the left is a history of violence. It's always been that way. The left has never needed a reason to go out and riot. They just do it. They're the ones that are generally dragging political language into the gutter. So Kurt goes on. The Democratic left demonization of President Trump and his supporters, after all. It was the Democratic presidential nominee, Hillary Clinton, who described half of those backing Trump as deplorable, created this climate of hatred irrationality, and thuggery that is now consuming cities and college campuses around the country. So Kerwick ingeniously here turns it back on the left. He says, look, for all these people saying Trump is inciting violence, where's the violence? You have, every time uh, someone on the left is assaulted, it becomes a splash on the front page. Well, look at this. This is a nice example of how these thugs on the right are treating people on the left. This is so isolated, you can't barely even find it. But you can go out and find violent protests all the time from the left. And people don't put the dots together. They don't connect them. So Kerwick is ingeniously here to turn it back on the left, which it should be. The type of language that the left has used often incites violence. So he says, the Democrats who control the government academic Hollywood media complex are like the proverbial person who runs into a crowded theater and screams fire. In demonizing the president and his tens of millions of supporters as racist, sexist, Islamophobic, homophobic, xenophobic, and the like, 
the nonviolent Democratic left aid and abet their more overtly thuggish counterparts on the streets. Now, I would suggest here that there really isn't a nonviolent Democratic left. Because uh, even though they'll come out and start saying, well, you know, we don't support this violence, they do. They support these people. They often fund these people. We've seen it over and over again during the campaign. People were being paid to incite $1,000, $2,000. Get out there in the streets and start inciting violence. Uh, This is commonplace. And it's the establishment that does this. If the people on the right were doing this, establishment people on the right, they would be run over the coals. They would be strung up, burned in effigy. But the left gets away with it because generally they're protected by the media. But the left gets away with it, and they always have. Because for some reason, their cause is always seen as more just. This is, this is justice, as they say. Social justice. And of course, that's problematic because what really happens is that they're causing a lot of property damage and, of course, at times, uh, physical damage to people and, throughout history, a loss of life. Millions of people have lost their lives at the hand of the left. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So Kerwick continues, it's one thing for them to disagree with President Trump. It's another thing entirely for them to, in effect, incite mobs to hurt innocents. It's also inexcusable for them to do anything other than unequivocally, routinely, condemn this mob action. This they have not done. When Democrats renounce the violence of street punks, while either refusing to acknowledge the role that their language played in inflaming it or rationalizing, if not overtly justifying it by blaming the victim, they convict themselves. To be clear, the Democratic Party and its apologists aren't really that bothered by the fact that the riots are being executed as long as they are done for the sake of protesting Trump, and it is those to the right that are being harmed. This is the message that anyone who is listening must receive. So, he's right about this. This is what people need to understand. And he says, protesters or demonstrators do not act violently. Those who act violently for any reason other than self-defense are thugs, criminals, felons. Those who act violently in mobs are rioters. And those who act violently towards innocents for the sake of altering the direction of government or government policy are terrorists. And so he's trying to use language here that's much more forceful. And I think that's important. I would say they're barbarians. And I think his historical perspective is a little bit short. Yeah, in the 1960s, the left got crazy. I mean, they were out there in the 1960s. We often hear about the nonviolent protests, and they were there. But look at the 1968 Democratic Convention. Look at the violent protests, the rioting. Uh, My gosh, even Dan Rather, leftist Dan Rather, was punched in the gut on the floor of the 1968 Democratic Convention on live television. Uh the left has always been a group of political kneecappers. This is what they do. So let's give this some perspective. As I mentioned, the French Revolution begins. It is the first recognized, in some ways, at least one part of it, communist revolution in, uh, in world history. So you have the terror, and you have this complete destruction of society. We get things like the metric system. 
If anything could be done away with, it'd be that. So we get the metric system, which is awful. Confuses kids in America all over the place because we're used to inches, and now we got to use meters and centimeters. And we're used to inches and feet, and we got to use meters and centimeters. This just messes everybody up. So we should get rid of that thing. But that's the, that's, that's the left. They're tearing down society. They changed the calendar. They give you 10 days in a week instead of seven. They completely destroy any, any vestige of organized Christianity. And they replace that ultimately with the Church of Reason, with Robespierre as the head of the Church of Reason. Uh, they start uh, using a secret police to go out and uh, round up people who are accused of not being revolutionary enough. If you don't call your fellow uh, Frenchman a citizen, well then you're obviously not down with the revolution. So you should go meet your fate at the, at the uh, French razor, the guillotine. Or maybe you'll be shot. Or maybe you'll be drowned. And so the amount of personal and physical and property destruction to the French Revolution was just cataclysmic. It's, it's, it's awful. Anyone who, who celebrates that event, and I know they do every, you know, the Bastille Day, July 14th in France, it's a big day of celebration. What for? This is a disastrous turning point. Everything we see moving forward in, in uh, world or European history from that point forward is a byproduct of the French Revolution and the political violence of the left. So you've got the French Revolution that opens this Pandora's box. That unleashes Napoleon. Napoleon brought nationalism to the rest of Europe. You wouldn't have had the unification movements of the 19th century without Napoleon, for example. You wouldn't have had the German unification movement without Napoleon. You wouldn't have had the Italian unification movement without Napoleon. And, of course, the German unification movement is going to forever change the history of Europe moving into the 20th century. In so many ways, this unleashed... We, we, we often talk about the French Revolution of 1789. Um, and then, of course, that drags into the 1790s. What we don't realize is that there was another French Revolution, one that was even more leftist as you get into the uh, 18, uh, 1830s. You have the French Revolution of 1830, which is the basis of the uh, musical Les Miserables. And then you have uh, the uh, revolutions of 1848. So all these leftists are out there, and they're causing violence in the 1840s. Now they're being smashed by by uh, you know conservative regimes, and you had this conservative retrenchment after Napoleon, and they're being put down. But still, a lot of these revolutionaries that make their way over to the United States are called the 48ers, uh, and uh, they bring that attitude to American politics. And these people were Marxists, and so then you know when you get to the unification movements uh, and how this is carried over into places like Russia now. Unification was not part of Russia, but what the Russians were doing, the Russian reformers, they blew up the czar on a bridge, for example, at one point, and that czar, Alexander, was a was a reformer. He was going to actually give the left the Duma, and they blow him up the day it was going to happen. So the left has always been violent. And then, of course, you get in the 20th century, you have the very violent, uh, for the first 20th century communist revolution actually took place in Mexico, and I talked about this in the previous podcast, but Emilio Zapata and what the Zapatistas now uh, are doing in Mexico, this is the violent leftist revolutionary party of Mexico. Uh, and then, of course, you move into the 
Russian Revolution of 1917 and how violent that was and how the left from that point forward has changed everything, really, across, uh, across the world. Um, and, you know, that French Revolution is a model. And I, and I use an example a lot of people aren't familiar with this particular example, particularly younger people, but the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia and Pol Pot. Pol Pot, uh, Cambodia was, of course, a French colony. And so Pol Pot was educated in France, and he, he knew very well the legacy of the French Revolution. And this became his model. When Pol Pot forever changed Cambodia, uh, well, not forever, but for at least the time he was in power, uh, and you had the very uh, infamous episode of The Killing Fields, which was uh, you know, immortalized in a film of, in, of the same title in about 1984. Uh, Pol Pot was changing everything in, in Cambodia. He changed the calendar. He, he, he made it to where anyone who was over a certain age should be executed. If you weren't a farmer, someone who worked with your hands, you're dead. This is the French Revolution taking place somewhere else. That becomes the model. This is why people should fear the left, because eventually the left gets that nasty. And when they have the apparatus of power at their disposal, meaning the government, they can get even more nasty. So it's a good thing, in some ways, these people are not in power. And so Kerwak continues to reiterate, uh, Kerwick, excuse me, continues to reiterate, those leftists who have been wreaking havoc, those who the leftist media call protesters and who the right continually characterizes snowflakes and crybabies are indeed domestic terrorists. So he's saying these are not snowflakes. Now, I think in some cases they are these snowflakes who can't handle anything to oppose them. Uh, my favorite thing and I, that happened recently was this protest out in Washington in the library. I think it was Washington, University of Washington. And these idiots are there in the library with their megaphones and chanting whatever they're chanting. And a foreign student comes out of nowhere and says, hey, hey, this is library. And he walks away. And, of course, that just shut him down. That was hilarious. They can't criticize that guy because he was a foreign student. uh, And uh, to call him out, they they would have been then called racist or whatever the case may be. So he's able to shut him down just by saying, this is library. So I think that needs to be our new new, uh, rallying cry. This is library. And uh, people just need to to shut people up, just need to say that. Um, And so Kerwick again says, Were those who besieged the American embassy in Benghazi in 2012, murdering four Americans, were they protesters or snowflakes? So far, anti-Trump terrorists haven't murdered anyone. This, however, doesn't mean that their actions couldn't have easily resulted in the deaths of innocents. Nor does it make their actions any less terroristic. Second, the terrorists are not anti-fascist. They are American neo-communists, or neocoms, militant leftists who want nothing less than the fundamental transformation of the United States from what it has always been into something more on the order of the utopian totalitarian order of their fevered imaginings. So this is important. He's getting to that point where they have it between their ears and the confines of their own head. This is where we get to uh, ideologues. Importantly, it says these anti-American neocom terrorists are also Democrats, if not formally or officially, then in spirit, for their ideas are essentially one and the same as those who have been greasing the wheels of democratic politics for decades. So, again, it's important to note that history shows the left, the left, are the ones who are to be feared. They are the ones 
who are the most violent, who cause the most problems, they are the ones who are going to go out and destroy property and burn things and break windows. The right is not going to do this. And it's the left, their language is often so destructive, so dangerous, that they are the group to be feared overall. And I think that what, what the media did during the Trump campaign was say, look at how these Trumpsters are you know, degrading political language and they're becoming violent, they're dangerous. Just look at the left. We don't do that because, of course, the media is in um, cahoots with these people on the, uh, on the left, but uh, they're, they're working with them in conjunction. But I think Kerwick does a nice job here in pointing out that language matters. And I think we should stop calling They're not terrorists. They're barbarians. They're barbarians at the gate, as Richard Weaver called them. And we need to be aware that what barbarians do is tear stuff down. They destroy things. And if we could start characterizing and classifying these people as that, I think we'd go a long way to understanding that what they don't want is civilization. They actually want the opposite of that. They want chaos. And that chaos is designed to break the will of those on the right and give in. It's intimidation. And so whether you're on the right or you're a libertarian, I mean, the point is intimidation. What we lost track of, what we lost sight of during the Barack Obama administration is how dangerous these people actually are because they had no reason to protest at that point. But get them out of power and they become very dangerous. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time. <laughs>